James chapter 3. We'll be going to James chapter 3 here in just a moment. You know, and if you think of James chapter 1, it says we need to be swift to hear, swift to listen, and slow to anger and slow to speak. And James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And what Pastor Carl just talked about comes from Proverbs as well. And... Um, by the way, I do want to be thankful once again and appreciate Pastor Carl coming in, playing piano, doing these children's messages as well. And I'm also grateful for uh, Steve leading uh, these hymns. He's picking them out. He's leading them. And Megan's been uh, helping out on the computer. But Steve's all, and Steve and Megan have both been kind of helping watch with the sound system. Steve's been kind of running back after he's done singing to check the sound. And then Sam's also back watching the um, the camera right now. So I'm grateful for all of you in your service to the Lord right now. So anyways, we're going to be going to James 3 in a minute, but let me set it up. I want to tell you about a weapon that causes a lot of harm. A weapon that causes a lot of harm. This weapon is allowed on airplanes. You do not have to check the weapon prior to boarding the plane. This weapon is allowed in schools. The teachers try to keep this weapon controlled by the students but the teachers cannot and do not remove the weapon. They don't remove it. This weapon is in the White House and all other places of government. They have this weapon in other countries as well. Infants have this weapon, though they have not mastered its use. The weapon has been around as long as humanity. And this weapon is the tongue, as I'm sure you might have guessed. We may not think of the tongue as a weapon, but it really is. It can be used for good, and it can certainly be used for bad. The tongue allows us to form words. Words can make us laugh, right? And the laughter is really good medicine. Words can make us, the tongue, can, the tongue forms words, and words can make us cry, right? Words can hurt. And remember that old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's been, they've done actually MRI studies of the brain, and they know that the brain processes pain from words just like it processes physical pain. So words can make us hurt. Words can lie. When I was about four years old, my dad got a new car. My dad had uh, company cars. He was a salesman. He got company cars, which I never really realized uh, Never really learned to appreciate until I started driving myself. How nice that must be to have company cars. So my dad got company cars. He brought home this new car. I think it was a Cutlass Supreme. Remember Oldsmobile? And they had those Cutlass Supremes. And um, it might have been an Oldsmobile 88. I don't know if those were around before 88. Some of you would know. But this is like 1984, 85. So it's probably a Cutlass Supreme. And remember those big Cutlass Supremes? They were really, really, really nice cars. They were really long, full steel frame. A lot of them had a nice V8 engine because what you always need is more power, right? Well, anyways, I thought this Cutlass Supreme needed a racing stripe down the side. And so I had these keys, which I had acquired somehow. My parents probably regretted that after that day. And my dad pulls up this new company car to the, to the uh, side of the street. And I'm on the sidewalk, probably with a big wheel or something. And he goes inside, and I take my keys, and I give it a nice stripe all the way down. Except nobody else thought it was nice. It was a, 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 key, a key scratch all the way down. After that was done, my dad asked me, what happened to the car? And I said, the, the cat did it. We had this cat named Nikki. And I said it was Nikki. Nikki did that. Now, obviously, my dad knew the cat didn't do that scratch. And obviously, I could have used my words to tell the truth, but I didn't. I used them to lie. 
which I still hear about to this day, by the way. But it all worked out in the end because a young lady pulled out in front of him, no, cross left of center, and the car had to get fixed and got a new paint job, and I was quite relieved, and everybody was okay in the end. But I used my words to lie. Words can be used to make us laugh. Words can be used to, to, to make us cry. Words can be used to, to lie. Words can be used to hurt. Words can be used to make us feel good, can't they? You know, we can use our words. We can even write letters using words to make us feel good, to encourage us, to build us up. And words come from the tongue. And James chapter 3, 1 through 12 tells us that the tongue is a dangerous weapon. The tongue is a dangerous weapon. So let's read this passage, James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. Let not not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Notice how James talks about this. And remember, James is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And we see the great wisdom here and the the different imagery he uses to describe the danger of our words. In in verse 1, James introduces a way the tongue is commonly used. A tongue is commonly used to teach. I mean, I'm doing that right now. Forming words and speaking uh, to teach. And he says, do not be too quick to become a teacher. By this time, it has been at the most 15 years since Jesus' resurrection. The church was young. Maybe, maybe they had a problem appointing teachers too hastily. James says that teachers will be judged more strictly. I look at that and I think, wow, he used a J word. Judgment. We don't talk about judgment most um, as often today, do we? We don't talk about things like that. But the Bible certainly does. And the Bible right here is saying teachers will even incur a stricter judgment. I've been in church situations where we try to talk about, you know, nominating people for leadership or appointing people to be in a teaching position. And sometimes we want to think, well, you know, anybody should be allowed to do it. You know, everything needs to be equal. When a church leadership team, a church elder group says, 
no, it may not be the right time for, such an, for so-and-so to be a teacher. We're actually saving them a stricter judgment. That's, that's what this is saying. I was in a position at one point where we had a teacher who was going through a divorce but was not divorced, and he was cohabitating with the woman who was not his wife. So there's two major things there. And we had to ask him to step down from teaching. And people start getting upset. Well, we're trying to help the church, but also this says... These people who teach actually incur stricter judgment. The Bible affirms that there will be a judgment. And the New Testament affirms a high bar for spiritual leadership. See 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. A high bar for spiritual leadership. To ignore that and teach something contrary to scripture is a grievous mistake. To teach the scriptures or to teach children or to lead the church is a high, high, high calling. In verse 2, James gets into the argument about our speech. Look at verse 2. He says, For we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Notice how James doesn't talk down to them. Look at it. He uses the inclusive first-person pronoun, we. Inclusive first-person pronoun, we. He says, we all stumble in many ways. He includes himself as well. We all mess up. Look at the rest of the verse. If anyone does not stumble, if anyone does not stumble what he says, and what he says, it's about speech. So he's gone from teaching. He's about to talk more about speech. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. And now he's going to get into these illustrations having to do with speech. But James introduces the idea that what we say can control our whole body. What we say can control our whole body. Uh, this just came to me. I remember being a, uh, a child, being a kid, and many times as speaking and saying things that I shouldn't have said or challenging my father on certain things. I was a young teenager, uh, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. And many times being sent to my room and knowing that discipline was coming and thinking, why did I say that? But, you know, it's like toothpaste. I should have brought toothpaste. You know, once you take the, the toothpaste out of the tube, you can't get it back in. We can't, get our, we can't take those words back. They've been said. So in verses 3 through 12, James talks about the tongue's ability to cause great danger and our lack of ability to tame the tongue. The tongue's ability to cause great danger and our lack of ability to tame the tongue. Mercedes is back there, and um, she just looked up at me. And many times I tell her that she's very good at debate. She's a founding member of the child-mother debate team or child-father debate team. And, and she does it quite well, but I'll say you need to save that for later. Use those skills as a lawyer someday. Don't use them right now. She'll start arguing. I say, no, stop, stop, cut it. You know, there is a movie where this, this is what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. Nope, stop, quiet. Anyways, she'll get me back for that someday. But, you know, she's good at arguing. The tongue can be used for very many good things, but also bad. Look at verses three through four. Verses 3 through 4. Now, if we put the bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire bodies well. First illustration, we can control a horse with a bit in their mouth. Look at the ships also. Second illustration. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. We control these big ships with a little bitty rudder, wherever the pilot wants it to go. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great 
things. We can control big horses with their bit in their mouth. We can control big ships with a very small rudder. And in verse 5, James says a tongue is small too. The tongue is small like the rudder that guides a ship or the bit that guides a horse. Yet the tongue causes great danger. James compares the tongue to the spark that starts the forest fire. The tongue to the spark that starts the forest fire. And just think with me. We all know how arguments can develop and how arguments can get worse and words get exchanged. And next thing you know, that argument gets heated. And it's much like a forest fire. It's much like that spark that starts the forest fire. And then you got to do reconciliation and repentance and apologizing and clarifying and trying to fix things. And it's not easy. Uh, One of the um, authors uh, I follow is Brad Hambrick. He's a pastoral counselor. He's written a few books and many, many articles. And he's been writing a series, a very, very good series on forgiveness right now. And, and one reason forgiveness can be so difficult, among, among many, of course, you know, um, and many, many great reasons, of course, when you look at abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. But also, words get exchanged. How do we get through that? How do we, you know, overcome that? You know, I read a fire can begin with a, just a small spark, but it can, can, it can grow to destroy it, an entire city. A fire reportedly started in the O'Leary Bar in Chicago at 8.30 p.m. October 8, 1871. I'll just say I, I wasn't there. I read about it, okay? 1871. And because that fire spread, it started with a very small spark. And because that fire spread, over 100,000 people were left homeless. 100,000 people. 17,500 buildings were destroyed. 17,500 buildings destroyed. And 300 people died. 300 people lost their lives. It cost the city over $400 million. It started with just a spark, you know. And, and, and James is con, con, comparing our words to that type of fire. It starts with a spark. And so the good cross-reference, as I've already quoted, is James chapter 1. Be quick to hear, swift to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The tongue forms our words. How are we doing with this right now? We take this passage and we apply it to our lives. How are we doing with our words, what we say, what we write? Have you started any forest fires with your words? Proverbs chapter 26 verse 20. Get this. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, the gossip stops. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisper, the gossip stops. The tongue forms our words, and our words can start a fire of gossip. Have we been guilty of this? Have we been been guilty of starting fires with our words? Uh, This day, this can also happen on Facebook, Twitter, social media, text messaging, email, if, if any of you follow Desiring God, which is a ministry founded by John Piper, he had a great devotion last night. It's called Solid Joyce. It's actually for today, but it gets emailed the night before. And, and I could share it with any of you where he gave five different resolutions, <laughs> resolutions that we can make to our life in regards to um, social media, in regards to the 
internet and things like that. And of course he does that because John Piper was majorly impacted by Jonathan Edwards. And Jonathan Edwards was a 1700s, 18th century Puritan writer, great writer, wrote Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I actually had to read that in, in, in public school in 10th grade. And Jonathan Edwards went through his whole life giving different resolutions for himself. He would write resolved and then he would tell you know what he's, he's resolved to do. Think about this. How are we doing with our words? Are there any, are there any resolutions we need to make? Before speaking, we all best take this warning. We should all be careful with our communication. A few years ago, it's actually more like 12 years ago now, I was upset with the way someone said something in a meeting. I, and I didn't say anything for a few days. I sat on it. But the fire stirred in my heart. And I ended up writing an email, an email which I would later regret. I didn't say anything untrue in the email. But what I said was not in enough grace. It was not in enough love, and it should have been a conversation one-on-one, in person, not by email. Our conversations can get this way even in church, even in church. How many people in church have been hurt by words? Too many, too many. I don't know if you've seen the movie The King's Speech, The King's Speech. It came out about 10 or 11 years ago. Very, very, very well done movie. And there's an amazing moment where the main character, and the main character is King George VI. King George VI. He had to take the throne of England in the, in the 1930s because his brother abdicated the throne in order to marry a divorced woman. So his brother abdicates the throne of England, and King George VI takes the throne. But King George VI had trouble with public speaking. So they got a certain man to help him learn how to do public speaking, which was very important because later on, King George VI would have to give radio addresses to the people to motivate them during World War II. And there's a moment in there where King George VI walks into a room, and the young, not yet Queen Elizabeth, is in that room. Queen Elizabeth of today, by the way, is in the room, and she's watching Adolf Hitler speak. And he's speaking in German. And she's watching him speak on film strip. And you know how uh, Hitler could get so animated with his words, you know, and so passionate and whatever. She said, what's he saying, Daddy? And King George VI responds, I don't know, but he, he seems to be saying it rather well. Which is kind of a funny moment when you consider how he was learning to do pub public speaking. You know, destructive regimes use the voice and use the pen. They use words. They use a tongue. And they start a forest fire. Now, mind you, we can use the tongue and use the pen for many good things. Martin Luther did that. If we think back to the Reformation, of course, later on, Martin Luther also used his words and used his pen for some bad anti-Semitic things as well. That's why James writes in verse 6, he says, And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Skip to verse 9. Skip to verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? By, this, by the way, notice the continual loving tone that James is using. Even in verse 12, my brethren, he continues to put this loving, familial type language here. 
You know, this passage has been used, when I was in youth group, when I was in high school, they used this passage to say that what we might call cussing, cursing, swearing is a sin. And it, and it, and it certainly might be. We can also consider Philippians 4, 8 and other things like that. Um, I don't think that's the type of cursing this is talking about. Um, this is talking about our, how we use our words with other people. And certainly if we're using curse words, what we might call cuss words, swear words, against somebody else, that is sinful, that is wrong. But let me tell you, church people can cuss people out without using cuss words. I've experienced it. We probably all have. We need to use the best words and the best language and the best attitude and the best gentleness with other people. Christians and non-Christians all the time. We need to watch our attitude and our demeanor and how we treat people. James concludes this passage by stating that blessing and cursing should not come out of the same mouth. Our words can curse or bless. There's a book called The Language of God. It's written by Francis Collins. Francis Collins is a Christian man who um, God used to map the human genome. And uh, he writes this in his book, The Language of God. He writes, my junior year in college, 1968, was full of deeply troubling events. Soviet tanks had rolled into Czechoslovakia. The Vietnam War had escalated with the Tet Offensive. And Robert F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King had been assassinated. But at the very end of the year, another much more positive event occurred that electrified the world. The launch of Apollo 8. The launch of Apollo 8. It was the first manned spacecraft to orbit the moon. Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders traveled through space for three days that December while the world held its breath. Then they began to circle the moon, taking the first human photos of Earth rising over the moon's surface, reminding us all just how small and fragile our planet appears from the vantage point of space. On Christmas Eve, the three astronauts broadcast a live television transmission from their capsule. Christmas Eve, live television transmission from their capsule. After commenting on their experience and on the starkness of the lunar landscape, they jointly read the first 10 verses of Genesis 1. Here they are on public TV, scientists, engineers, astronauts, reading the first 10 verses of Genesis 1 from outer space. Francis Collins says, As an agnostic, on the way to becoming an atheist at the time, I still remember the surprising sense of awe that settled over me as those unforgettable words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They said those words from outer space on public TV. And Francis Collins at this time is hearing it. In the beginning, God created the earth. Those are words. Those are words used for good things. Francis Collins continues. He says, And those words reached my ears from 240,000 miles away, spoken by men who were scientists and engineers, but for whom these words had obvious, powerful meanings. These words obviously had powerful meanings to those astronauts. Shortly afterward... The famous American atheist Madeleine Murray O'Hare filed suit against NASA for permitting, these, uh, for permitting this Christmas Eve reading of the Bible. She argued that U.S. astronauts who are federal employees should be banned from public prayer 
in space. Though the courts ultimately rejected her suit, NASA discouraged such references to faith and future flights. Thus, Buzz Aldrin of Apollo 11 arranged to take communion on the surface of the moon during the first human lunar landing in 1969. But that event was never publicly reported. The astronauts used their words to bless, while the atheist, Madeline Murray O'Hare, used her words to curse, used her words for danger, filing the lawsuit. Let's make a resolution to use our words to bless. Let's pray that we can use our words to bless. You'll mess up, I'll mess up, we all will. When we do, we use our words to apologize and try to do better and to own up to it and to repent. Remember the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let's use our words to be gentle. Let's have self-control with our words. Let's write about it in a prayer journal. Let's pray to God about it. Let's ask him to help. And firstly, if you haven't yet, use your words to turn your life over to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Use your words to commit your life to Jesus. Some of you watching, listening, may be believers in Jesus, but you're not followers of him. You may be believers in Jesus, but you're not committed to him. I encourage you today, don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. You never promise tomorrow. I encourage you today to turn your life over to Jesus. D.L. Moody was an evangelist in the late 1800s, and he was preaching in Chicago. He's from Chicago. And you know the Chicago fire I referenced earlier? He was preaching that week. And before the Chicago fire, he told people, don't decide today. Go home and think about whether you want to commit to Christ. Think about it. Nothing wrong with that. But then the fire broke out and many people lost their lives. And he determined to always encourage people, make the decision today for Christ. And I encourage you, if you've not made the decision, you're never promised tomorrow, make the decision today to commit to Jesus as Lord and Savior. We confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. That means we repent. We believe in Jesus as the one and only Savior. We trust in him and commit to him. That means that we firmly make the decision to be with him in order to become like him, to learn and do all that he says. And then you arrange your affairs. You arrange your life around him. You're a disciple of him. You make him Lord of your life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that you, through the Holy Spirit, will convict us when we need to repent of using our words wrongly. Help us using our words to build up. Help us uh, watching our mouth, so to speak, and repenting when we need to. Help us to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And Lord God, for anybody listening, anybody watching, anybody present who has not committed their life to you as Lord and Savior, I ask, Lord, that today will be the day of salvation, that today will be the day to confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, to believe in you as the one and only Savior. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. John 14, 6, Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father except by me. So we believe in you. We trust and commit to you. We confess, believe, trust, and commit. And Lord, I pray that every single day, every single day is a new day for all the Christians watching this. 
We don't rely on a one-time sinner's prayer. Every single day we get up and we say, we're going to serve you, Jesus, because we need you. And we're going to confess sin and repent because we need you. We're going to follow you because we need you. Every day I pray, Lord God, that we can all say, we are going to firmly make the decision to be with you in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say and arrange our affairs around you. Help us to live for you, Lord. We need the Holy Spirit's guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I invite Steve for the closing uh, hymn and prayer.